This is Growth Decoded to Go, a podcast from a show that helps you grow your business by figuring out the customer experience, one piece at a time. We do this to share our findings with you, wherever you are. Because this podcast is only the audio portion of the show, there might be some references to visuals. But don't fret, because we've included links to the video version of the show in the podcast description. All right, let's get into it. Ah, hello there, Internet, and welcome back to Growth Decoded, the Internet show from Active Campaign that exists to help you grow your business by decoding the mysteries of the customer experience. AKA, we want to help you better understand how to serve your customers so that you keep them and get more of them. I'm your host, Ernie Santarelli, joined as always by my leafy green co-host, Plantasia. Can businesses be funny? Tim Washer seems to think so. And not only that, he thinks that humor is a massive opportunity and a critical piece of forging human connections in a world where trust is a hard thing to come by. Take a look. The way we're communicating right now, the same old thing won't work anymore. You know, because people no longer, they no longer put their trust in these institutions or white papers. Right. So we have to connect on a human level, and that's why I think comedy is so important. How does breakfast continue to get away with things like that? If you have that kind of clout yeah. of being the most important meal of the day, you can do anything. And it transfers into kind of any kind of content marketing career. It's the same thing. Just establish yourself as the most important meal of the day. So you just want to be the breakfast of whatever it is That's that you're exactly, doing. That's exactly what I'm saying. Either make them smile, or better yet, if you can make them laugh, I mean, that's an incredibly intimate connection you've formed. And the idea is if there, if there is a concept or an idea that scares you, you have an obligation to pursue it. Mm. Because the reason it scares you is, it's, it, is it represents new frontier that you haven't explored yet. And because it's new frontier that you haven't explored yet, that's going to yield the most creative idea, right. the, the most important connection, that kind of thing. What are some ways that you can use humor to stand out in your messaging? How can you use humor to create positive experiences for your audience? I know, I know. Humor in business communication? Brands being funny? That's preposterous. Doesn't have to be. Go take a look at the Twitter accounts for Wendy's and Pop-Tarts if you don't believe me. Plenty of brands have experimented with humor and found success with it. Why? Well, first of all, who doesn't love smiling or laughing? You only do these things when you're moved to do them, meaning something made you so happy that it elicited a visceral reaction from you. That's a textbook positive experience. And we know that people talk about their experiences, both positive and negative. But here's the thing about funny positive experiences. They get shared way more often than a general run-of-the-mill campaign announcement or marketing post. Think about memes. Think about funny videos or tweets. To take it further, a meta-analysis of 40 years of educational humor research showed that humor increases the strength of human connections and that relevant and appropriate humor causes us to retain and engage more with information. Not only that, but a campaign or a social media post from a brand that's lighthearted or goofy or humorous and successful, meaning the joke lands or was well received, that goes a long way towards gaining followers for your business profiles. And that leads to a lot of good stuff. Like what? Well, Sprout Social found that of a brand's given audience on social media, 92% of consumers will go to that brand's app or website, 89% will buy from the brand, 85% will choose that brand over a competitor, and 84% will recommend that brand to a family member or friend. And that, my friends, is the power of a successful joke. All right, let's get into it. And now I am joined by 
podcast host, MC, keynote speaker, uh, comedy writer, contributor to shows you may have heard of, like Saturday Night Live, and a lot of other uh, pieces of your title that I'm sure that I'm missing. I'm sorry about that. Tim Washer, welcome to Growth Decoded. Moving into the, the topic of conversation here. Yes, sir. And something that you, I think, are uniquely positioned to talk about with us uh, is the idea of branding and like creative branding, creative positioning, creative marketing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's something that I think a lot of brands are looking for. They're looking for something that sets them apart, makes them distinct. What, how, how important is that? How important is the, you know, the idea of creativity and marketing as a vehicle to make yourself distinct or make yourself stand out? Man, listen, in, the, in this COVID world, it's, that's all that matters. It really is. And I'm, I'm being serious now. So, you know, one of the things, it's funny that the thing is now people, the world is so polarized right now and there's so much anxiety in the system that people, people aren't listening anymore. Right. You know, if I'm coming to you with a pitch, you're just not interested. I, a good friend of mine is a lobbyist, and he was saying, he was saying, you know, nobody. I, he said it's never been more difficult to just get someone's attention on the phone. And he said he does these Zoom calls, and he says, my goal now for the first minute, in the first minute, I want to make that person smile. You know, let me just connect with them in a, in a genuine way so they smile. And uh, I think that's a great place to start. Yeah. But here's the thing: the way we're communicating right now, the the, the same old thing won't work anymore. You know, because people no longer, they no longer put their trust in these institutions or white papers or a PowerPoint deck. It's, it, we just don't believe it anymore. Right. You know, so we have to connect on a human level. And that's why I think comedy is so important. You know, trying to, like my buddy, either make them smile or better yet, if you can make them laugh. I mean, that's an incredibly intimate connection you formed. So that's, that's why people, if, we, if you're going to get anything done, I think the only way to build trust is to show who you are, to, to approach it with humility, mm-hmm. you know, to, to have humility and humor and just uh, share a little bit more of yourself in a genuine way. So the importance of comedy, if, I mean, if I could think of like an opposite to comedy, I feel like it would be like corporate writing, like a, <laughs> like a company trying to get That's a right. message across. Right? That's right. Like I cannot think of anything that might be like more anti-comedy than that, at least on the surface level. So how do you get over that? Like, how do you approach that? How do you begin to start weaving comedy into your brand voice? Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's a key question to get start to, to even start down this road is to understand that piece. And so I worked at a, at one of the anti-comedy brands, one of the largest anti-comedy brands in the world. And I can't, the attorneys won't let me mention the name, but I'll just describe it as like an international business machines corporation. Okay. So we, I worked in the mainframe business where you would think, right, the comedy writes itself. Absolutely. A 60 year old platform, you know, it's who, who's not going to hear mainframe and laugh. Right. 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 So, you know, uh, look at Conan O'Brien. He built a career on mainframe jokes. If you think, if you go look deep into these things, look in the history, when you go to the Kennedy Library in Boston. Check it out. There's a book on Conan. So where you start, look, a lot of, here's the thing. One of the rules in comedy when you do stand-up comedy is comedy comes from pain. Right. Okay. And so you, to translate that into the business world in communications, it's like, well, start with the pain point that your customer feels. What is the pain that your customer is going through? And play with that. And so a very simple formula is like, okay, let's find out what their pain point is. And you should know this already because they're your customers, right? Right. And then just come up with an idea to heighten that. What what would happen? Ask yourself these questions. What would happen 
if that pain was never addressed and it got worse and then exaggerate it beyond reality you know like up to you know to armageddon you know okay. what, what would happen and the thing is that makes it funny once the hyperbole will make it funny but the thing is there's truth in the pain right. that the customer's feeling so now your customer sees something they they're laughing with you and there's also you've also kind of established this empathy because you want you're, you're you're communicating you're investing your time and money in communicating about the customer's pain right and they they feel appreciated they feel heard and you know and you're being silly and being silly in the right way is so important right now because i think when people see someone being silly they feel like okay now you're not Ernie's not being pretentious with me. He's right. willing to laugh. He's willing to sh you know, let his hair down. And I feel like, okay, we're having a real conversation now. Right. And that's what starts building trust. Right, like cuts through the tension and sort of lets everybody bring their guard down. That's exactly right. Because, because in any, any marketing or sales conversation, before, as it, even before it starts, yeah. I know you're going to come at me with a pitch. Like if, you, right. if we have a call scheduled today at 3, I'm, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, you know, my amygdala is back there thinking, here comes the pitch. Right. You know, so let me just have my guard up. And without necessarily consciously thinking about this, I am prepared for to defend myself. Mm. For I, You're going to ask me to take this one step further. You know, can we meet in person? And I'm just thinking about already what are my defenses subconsciously. Right. So if, if you open up that call and, you know, make a joke about not about your company, but about the problem that I'm dealing with. I understand that at the very beginning of this call, you've done some homework and you've understood my business. Yep. And so now I'm, all of a sudden, all that resistance I had is just melted away. Right. Yeah. Like the rules of the game that were established are sort of just like they're out the window. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yes. And it, and it allows for like a more human moment and a more human connection and experience, which to your point, what you were saying earlier in this day and age is what we need. Right? That's exactly because we, we are all so guarded. Yeah. And just with one little joke like that or just even a reference of, you know, hey, I know you must be dealing with, you know, whatever it is, um, it's it does. It melts all that away. Now I'm surprised and caught off guard. And I'm like, I like this guy yeah. because he knows my business and he made me smile, you know. So one of the things, I mean, I love everything, and I think that everything that you just said is spot on, but one of the things that I think holds a lot of brands and people back, for sure, is the fear of it, like, bombing, of it not working. Yes. Right? Yeah. And there's, like, nothing more awkward, painful, fill-in-the-blank. That's right. Negative experience than, you know, you're, you're putting yourself out there to <laughs> yes. try to make a funny thing happen, and yes. it just doesn't happen. So how do you... Well, I guess get over that fear. Okay. How do you approach that? So a couple of things. First is you lower, you lower the risk for yourself. Okay. And you, you don't say, look, I'm going to make this person laugh. You say, look, I'm going to see if I can get a smile out of this person. Mm. That's okay. it. You know, or, or, or see if I can, you know, surprise them with my understanding of the business or my compassion. But maybe do it in a little more lighthearted way. Okay. So lower, lower the expectations on yourself. That's one thing. And just go for the smile. Uh, the other thing is, is you want to consider, well, what if I don't even do comedy and I just do it the same old way? Right. Well, there's probably an 80% chance that it's going to be the exact same result as last time and it's not going to go anywhere. Right. So what do you have to lose? That's, that's one thing there, too. Yeah. Uh, as a stand-up, I like to have a recovery, a recovery joke ready. Okay. And it doesn't have to be a joke, but if I, if I know a joke's risky and it's going to bomb or might... Uh, you know, an audience might perceive it as a different way, then I'll have a recovery joke ready to go and uh, follow up with that. And I know it'll, it'll hopefully, you know, redeem me a bit. And that's one way to, that's one thing, think of a backup. Um, but, but 
there, there, one other thing I want to share is so I, I studied improv years ago with okay. uh, Amy Poehler before she got on SNL. Wow. And so she taught me this principle called follow the fear, which comes from it, actually Del Close is the founder of long form improv. And that's where she learned it from studying with Del. And the idea is if there, if there is a concept or an idea that scares you, you have an obligation to pursue it. Mm. Because the reason it scares you is, it's, it, is it represents new frontier that you haven't explored yet. And because it's new frontier that you haven't explored yet, that's gonna yield the most creative idea, right. the, the most important connection, that kind of thing. Now that, that takes a leap of faith. Right. Don't, don't get me wrong, I, I understand and I appreciate. Look, I remember the first time I did stand-up comedy. I, I, was, I really was, I was in a fetal position for two weeks. I mean, I was so scared. But um, I'm glad I tried it. I mean, it changed my life. And so right. those things that scare us the most are what's going to change our lives. And, and I've learned this. Like now, if there's anything I fear, particularly if I, fear, if I feel unqualified for it, then I, I quit thinking and I just go for it. And that's taking the job at IBM. It was a speechwriter job. I felt totally unqualified for the job. Sure. And, and I was. I was unqualified. But... Uh, the job came to me, I had this joy about it and also some fear and I took it and then it ended up kind of opening up a door for, you know, being a comedy guy. Right. In, in content marketing. So I, I like what you said there about like going to the fear or the like it represents a new frontier and we talk a lot on the show about growth and one of the things that is absolutely critical as just a foundational piece of growth is that you have to be testing something. Yeah. Right. You, yeah. You're not going to get to a new place by doing the same thing. You right, have right. to be doing something new. Um, and there, there is like an element of risk to that. So we, we talk a lot about it and like maybe we do a long subject line versus a short subject line or yeah. something like that. But I guess like adding the idea of maybe we try something lighthearted, something funny, yes. something hyperbolic. Yeah. That's really just like an interesting point um, to, to tie it into comedy as opposed to just like the normal A-B testing or, or variable testing that we would be talking about. How much does a polar bear weigh? Enough to break the ice. Was that a bad joke? A hundred percent. But the message in that joke is the point. Jokes break the tension. They make you lower your guard. They open the doors for a human connection and provide an opportunity to resonate. Humor lets your audience know that it's okay to be a human. It's okay to relax. You don't have to be on the offensive. You can open up and let a relationship start to form. And it's not impossible for even the most straight-laced, highly regulated, dare I say boring brands and companies to do so. Start with the customer. Who are they? What pains do they have that you help to solve? Take that, blow it up, exaggerate it, take it and run with it. Use it as the basis for your new campaign. If it scares you because it's new territory, well, that just means that you're on the path to growth. Remember, you can't grow your business or get to new places if you keep taking the same roads. Try something new. Test. Give yourself a chance to make a connection in a new way, to find a new avenue, to not only manage and meet the expectations of your audience, but to shatter them. To be the breakfast. You curious about how this might work for you? Try it out and see. If you want to test a humorous message against a general one, check out the split test automation recipe from ActiveCampaign and let the audience decide which messaging works better. It's linked in the handouts and in the resources below, but don't go just yet because we've got more with Tim. Listen, I, I was an analyst in New York for years, and I, I think it's incredibly important to use testing. Uh, we did a lot of conjoint analysis, and um, the thing is that there will be some things that you can't necessarily test for. 
Right. And if you have a gut feeling about, I think this would work, then I think you owe it yourself to try it. Even if the data you have, because you're probably not, you probably can't test some of these things. Like you, it'd be very difficult to test, well, how will a joke work with our audience? You know, you can, you can look at surrogates, you know, and other types of, you know, you can take proxies from different industries and that kind of thing, you know, and, and get, a, get some kind of, you know, estimation on whether it works or not. But, you know, it's still not going to be perfectly clean with your audience. So it's worth a test. It's worth taking a risk. That's where the follow the fear th idea comes in is saying, all right, we, d we don't have the data yet. Right. Or the numbers don't, you know, maybe the numbers don't fully percent, you know, uh, suggest we go this direction. But you know what? I just let me just try this and let me try it with a small people. You're going to be tested internally. Right. You know, test it internally and, and, and with a few people. But but don't be discouraged if a few people don't like it because you got to find people who are open minded to trying something new. Right. You know, you got to be very mindful about who you you know, who, who's in your focus group. And, and I mean, everything that you do, you're, you're not doing it for everyone anyway, right? Like not everyone can be your customer. Not everyone can be your audience. That's exactly right. So it would make sense that some, some people wouldn't. That's exactly right. And that's a, that's, a, that's a really important point that a lot of people don't understand. Right. And the thing is, you, um, yeah, you, you need to, um, I remember like at IBM, I'd pitch an idea. And one of the objections I got from so many people was, well, comedy is not global. And I'm like, well, have we produced anything that has resonated with all 7 billion people? Right. Please point to that. And what, what happens so often in the corporate world, you'll start off with a creative idea and, uh, you know, something fun and something different. And then as it goes through the, the levels of approval in all these in committees, some, more and more people will say, you know, what if we offend somebody with this? Or mm -hmm. what if the... And then it never happens. You, right. And what you end up doing is you use these, you end up just creating a video with these canned buzzwords that are meaningless, like, you know, thought leadership. They're just meaningless. But you know, well, nobody's going to be offended by this. Right. And you end up putting something together that just doesn't mean too much. And you're right. Nobody's offended, but nobody cares. That's why, that's why it doesn't matter. So getting back to, like, the, the anti-comedy aspect of, yeah. like, corporate communication, I feel like one thing that, you know, stand-up comedy has is, like you said, you would have a recovery joke because maybe you're trying a new joke and you haven't quite got the wording down, right? And it's through iteration that you kind of get to the point where it's a, a joke, it's a bit that actually works. But in this case, like, the iteration, the constant testing the message of, you know, further and further different levels and groups of people almost, like, dilutes it. Yes. So how does how do you how do you get around that? How do you how do you? you wait, I'm sorry. Are you talking about specifically about it dilutes it with the audience, the, with your corporate audience you're trying to get approval for? Well, it would be like the the message ultimately gets diluted the more and more you workshop it around in this. Oh yeah, uh, that's right. So you'd have to you would have that's 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 a very good. Have you done stand up? No. You sound like you have. Listen, you have to, you, if you're going to test comedy, you can only test it one time with one audience. Right. And then you got to take that joke to a new audience, to your point. Right. Because, you know, it's not funny the second time. And that's a, that's a challenge I work, as, I deal with as a creator because, I, you know, when I'm, I'll shoot the, I'll work on the script, a bunch of revisions, you know, I've, I've read the joke a thousand times that way, then we go and shoot it, and then I'm editing it. By the time I'm editing it, I'm kind of tired of the joke. And I start questioning myself. Down right. sets in, I'm like, is this really funny anymore? I thought it was funny at the beginning. And, and yeah, you got to be careful with that. That's a really important point. So find a couple of different audiences to go to. The other thing is you want a larger audience to test it with because one or two people won't think it's funny. Mm. But when you take it to a broader audience with a, like a room full of people, you're going to hear laughter. And I remember the very first comedy video I did at IBM, 
I showed it to the VP. He was like, okay, let's do this. And I thought, well, at some point, he may get cold feet before. This was in 2006 when we posted this thing on YouTube. It was a year. YouTube hadn't even been up for a year. And I thought he might get cold feet at some point. Right. So we had this all-hands meeting for our communications in this division. There were like uh, 42 people in our communications group. And we were, we were, this is back, you're too young to remember, it was back when we used to meet in person, okay? <laughs> and I said, Let's, why don't we show the video? With the, and he's like, okay, great. So we showed it. And I knew him hearing people laugh at it would give him the confidence if cold feet set in at some point. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. Some people laughed. There were a few places where I expected laughs and, and they didn't connect. And, but there were laughs at other places that I didn't even think people would laugh at. So it's always good to test it from a live audience, but it's important to have a large, a good sized live, a good size audience, you know, which is not that easy to put together now. I understand, but sure, yeah, well, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, and and you're more likely, I think, to have a, a visceral reaction like a laugh when you're kind of anonymized in a in a larger that's group right. of people. That, that's exactly yeah. There are there are a lot of things at play when you get a group together yeah. for laughter. Like I'll do, I do virtual events now, and we did this holiday for an accounting firm. So we did this event um, for a holiday party, and we invited people to bring their family members on. And I noticed at the end in the gallery I could see where, like, I do some jokes, and I could see if people were alone watching on their own, they didn't laugh as much as people watching with, like, two or three people in the same room. Mm. Though There would be a lot more laughs there. And there, there's definitely a, a, a strong social element to comedy. And, you know, when you're in... When you're watching a comedy on your own, you may not laugh as much, but when, when you're with a group of people, you tend to laugh more. So if we bring that back to, to business, the idea of like the social aspect of it, um, with, you know, if, if a joke lands, if you try something funny and it does resonate and it does land and people are, are liking it, um, does that mean that it's, it's more likely for them to share that or talk about that message oh, or talk about your brand? Yes, definitely. Definitely. That's the thing. If you, if you, um, if you can make somebody laugh, it, it's a gift. It really is a gift if you can give somebody a laugh during the day. And that's what I'm such a big proponent that, that big brands need to take like maybe 5% or just 3% of their budget and say, you know what, we're going to just make people laugh with this. Mm. And we're not going to hit them over the head with a call to action afterwards. We're just, it's a gift. You know, that does, that goes so far to earning brand loyalty, especially in this post COVID era. Yeah. And they are so much more likely to share that. Right. You know, if, if I send you something without a call to action, if I if attach a call to action to it, I understand it's important. But for you to share it with somebody else, there's this subconscious feeling of okay, I'm doing work for this brand now. I'm I'm you know I'm marketing for them. Right. And if I just send you a joke and make you laugh, that that brings value to your life. And now you feel like you're bringing value to other people by you know you do this with 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 memes and gifs, right? You see something funny and you're like, I'm going to share this with people. Yeah, absolutely. Why not do that for your brand? You know. And, and to, to the point about, like, not having a call to action, I think there is, like, a call to action, but it's sort of like a delayed response one. Yeah. Because if you, can, if you can resonate and create a laugh, create something that someone wants to share, you're inserting your brand or your company or whatever into their brain to maybe be activated at a later time, like when they have a problem and they're thinking about a thing. And it's sort of like a, I don't know if this, if this is making sense, but it's like if, if you're funny and they accept that and they, they like it, and it's not immediately followed by a click here to learn more. That's right. But then later, when they do want to learn more, they're going to think of you and the fact that you made them laugh. Yes, that's right. Look, I w- let me give you a good example. I was watching uh, 
Uh, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I was watching the Today Show. It was probably the fifth or sixth hour of the Today Show. And I just turned it on in the morning, having coffee, and this, this, this commercial, this 30-second spot for uh, Walden local meat comes on. And, it's, you know, it's a local, it's this is butcher that they only work with small farms, small local farms where they know the farmers, mm-hmm. right? And then they, they process the meat and ship it to you wherever you are. And what they ended up doing is the CEO was there with his top butcher and then one other person. And they just, they put a blooper, a 30-second blooper reel together of the CEO just messing up his lines. Yeah. And it was wonderful. And I'm sitting there. You talk about humility. Right. You know, if, if the CEO is going to show himself making mistakes, I feel like I can trust that person. Absolutely. Because I feel like he's not hiding something for me. Right. So here's what happened to me. I, I went and I went and tracked down the CEO and I said, look, can I interview about this? And I was, then I go and I look on Walden Meats and stuff and I, I, I'm going to become a customer. And then I also thought, like, how, how can I invest in this company? So, I, you know, I call my, my financial guy because I'm like, I just I just kind of was like, dude, I love these people. You sure. Know? Yeah. And that's the thing. There wasn't a heavy call to action. And, and it was 30 seconds of them just having fun. Right. And I really felt like, OK, I, I feel like I get to I feel like I know these people. Yeah. But there's also like you're a you're a butcher. Right. So you're the need to be perfect. Like, I mean, in, in your speaking, yeah. people don't expect you to be perfect like that and the, the, look, the, the food business is highly regulated right okay and people need to feel safe right with that brand they need to feel safe with that brand and so when I talked to regulated highly regulated companies like in the financial industry or pharmaceutical people automatically think well I can't do anything with personality because mm. we're highly regulated so we got to be stiff no 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 not at all you know that's, that's even when it's more important if I'm buying pharmaceuticals is more important for me to trust you right okay and being you know being you know stiff and on script all the time that doesn't build trust with me it just doesn't and you know you, you look at what Walden did and I, I just I trusted this guy immediately and I'm like I want to I want to get involved with this company somehow so regulation people who throw up that regulation wall and objection just think about it because again it you're still just look and see what kind of impact are we having test the marketing what kind of impact are we have with our marketing right and you know if it's not where you want it to be experiment with something you know I think the more regulated the more you know stiff kind of the bigger the opportunity right like the bigger yeah. the reward for exactly, yes. for the comedy or if you were to to kind of break through that that mold like you don't have to feel that way when you think about this industry or think about this company that's right and if you do if you do build the comedy on again a customer pain point that we're solving right that that doesn't show any any fallibility with the brand at all you know but there's nothing wrong with you know in certain areas you want it to be controlled but again you know the ceo of a food company getting his lines wrong i'm not going to think that my food's any less safe because of that i'm going to feel like more like okay i can trust this guy because he's showing his flaws so he doesn't have anything to hide from me right so i feel safer eating a steak from this place than i do from somebody who's just spouting talking points to me the whole time right or or behaving like a robot would exactly right interesting so uh throughout 
the show we've done. This is the 21st episode. Um, and so we've identified two common themes as they pertain to like growing your business using the customer experience. And it is know your customer and manage your customer's expectations. <laughs> yes. So with this idea of comedy, like know your customer, you're talking about highlighting a pain point and, and either, you know, maximizing it or making it funny, making yeah. it hyperbole. But the, the managing the expectations point is interesting for this in my head because this is a lot more like exceeding or shattering your customer's expectations, right? Like if it's an industry where it's like you're saying it's, it's highly regulated, it's stiff, it's straight-laced, whatever, but then you kind of just throw that all out the window if you can be funny, if you yes. can break through that. And so that's like, it's like beyond exceeding them. It's literally shattering them or like making them redefine what their expectations are. Yes, you are. Yes, exactly. And that's, it, that's in the joke. That's what, that's what a joke is all about is shattering expectations. So when you write a joke, a, a joke writer knows that, you're, you're trying to set up everything to go, and John will, John will agree on this 100%, and Valerie too. <laughs> we'll take this offline with both of them. <laughs> Your joke, when you're writing a setup, yeah. right, you're trying to get the person's uh, expectation, their mind going in one particular direction. Like, okay, I'm being led to this conclusion and I know exactly where we're going. And that's our show. Thank you to Tim Washer for stopping by our hallway studio at Social Media Marketing World and talking about comedy and creativity in business. It's as easy as this. Identify your customer. Golden rule number one, know your customer. Identify a common pain point they have relevant to your business. Exaggerate it past the point of conventional, practical, or expected normalcy. Seriously, take it as far as you can think of. And then take that situation and turn it into a message. For a quick guide on the five steps to start incorporating comedy or humor into your business messaging, and for a link to that recipe to test out a humorous message against a normal one, check out the resources, or you can Google Active Campaign Best Sales Drip Automation Recipe and click on the first link that pops up. Adding humor to your brand voice is a great way to attract new audience members, to get new leads onto your website, and even to create new customers. If you're enjoying the show, tell someone about it. It would mean a lot to me. And it would mean the world to Plantasia. Until next time, go forth and automate. Thanks for listening to Growth Decoded to Go. For the latest updates on Growth Decoded and links to the live show, you can sign up to be a part of the Grow Team at activecampaign.com slash events slash growth hyphen decoded. What did you eat for breakfast this morning? Oh, uh, did you eat breakfast this morning? I did have breakfast. Okay. You know what? It was Starbucks. It was a little egg bites. I've never had those. Oh, you got to step up to the plate. They're very <laughs> good. It's it's like a low carb, high fat scenario. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's what yeah. you want. It's basically ice cream with bacon that they package as a breakfast alternative. How does how does breakfast continue to get away with things like that? It's breakfast, man. It's the most important meal of the day. It's when like you have that kind of clout, if you take anything from this interview. I want you to remember, if you have that kind of clout yeah. of being the most important meal of the day, you can do anything. And it transfers into kind of any kind of content marketing career. It's the same thing. Just establish yourself as the most important uh, meal of the day. And so you just want to be the breakfast of whatever it is that's that you're exactly, doing. That's exactly what I'm saying. And I think we should, actually, I think we should quote you, Ernie, on a sweatshirt that says, be the breakfast. Be the, bre yeah. be the breakfast. That's right. So actually, I like that, like the, that way of looking at things, because you're you're right. When you have that kind of clout, you can eat deep fried cakes. Yes, you can. Covered in sugar, funnel cakes for breakfast. You can eat whatever syrup. you want to. Absolutely. You can even get away with it for dinner if you just say it's breakfast for dinner. 
That's exactly right. This is what, if you look at history, yeah. you know, how do you think John F. Kennedy got elected? Breakfast. He was the breakfast. He was the breakfast of the candidates. Yes, he, he was. Yeah, he was. Mm -hmm. He showed up on that debate stage. He was, he was the Western omelet he of was the East Coast. The Western omelet of the East Coast. Of the North, that's, who was, that's right. Yeah, those are in the files that have not been. Go to, the, go to the JFK Library sometime in Boston, and you'll find that. You think he was the Western omelet and not like the full Irish breakfast? Okay, that's a, that's a fair point. He probably led with that. But if you remember, there was a lot of concern about having a Catholic be president. Right. And so I think they backed off, and his dad, Joe, who knows how to kind of get things done, said, you know what, let's appeal to not over the flyover states, but out west and call it the Western, the Western omelet. It was a, a rebranding. A re and he was, a re and he was elected. That's right. Yeah. Be the breakfast. So I'm now joined by... <laughs> mm.